Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Is It My ADHD, the podcast about what it really feels like to have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I'm Grace Timothy, and I'm a writer, and I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 37. I'd struggled with traits I now know to be ADHD all my life, but it wasn't until a routine hearing appointment with a doctor who happened to have ADHD himself that these traits were pieced together, and it was suggested that I get referred for an assessment. Had it not been for that random moment with an audiologist, I'd still be undiagnosed now and still struggling, just like the two million women thought to have undiagnosed ADHD in the UK today. I want to better understand what ADHD feels like for women and non-binary people in whom ADHD is so often missed, thanks to the fact that the diagnostic criteria and research is all heavily skewed to the white male case study. I've therefore spoken to some incredible women about how ADHD affects their lives exploring everything from friendship and work to dating and self-esteem. I've also pulled in some experts along the way to help us tackle the big questions from you and from my guests. Is it my ADHD when I ghost old friends, for example? Is it my ADHD when I break the photocopier at work? And is it my ADHD when I share nudes on Instagram? My hope is that we can spread awareness of ADHD in women and non-binary people and that you'll find some comfort in knowing you're far from being alone. Because with the right support, we can be truly amazing. Today, I'll be talking about money with Claire Seal, aka My Frugal Year. The way we earn, save and spend is inevitably affected by various ADHD traits. Impulsive spending, executive function issues when it comes to cash admin like tax returns, changing direct debits and filing expenses, forgetting to settle bills, neglecting to return the impulsively purchased haul and budgets. That's a struggle to work out and then to stick to. Not to mention the issues surrounding employment. If you made it out of school with enough to get a steady job, a 2008 study found that employees with ADHD are 30% more likely to have chronic employment issues, 60% more likely to be fired from a job, and three times more likely to quit a job impulsively. I have totally been there. Granted, it was most likely a study based on the usual white male case study, but I for one can vouch for the impulsive quitting. I can also describe so many incidences when I've overpaid, underpaid and forgot to pay, when I've been charged for a late payment and when I've lost cash. Mostly it's just frustrating. A stark fear of money generally stops me from big splurges and I've now got umpteen alarms reminding me to keep up with money admin. But still, my relationship with money is less than ideal. 
Claire Seal is a financial coach and speaker and author of Five Steps to Financial Wellbeing, such a game-changing book in terms of how we frame money. She was diagnosed with ADHD this year. Hi, Claire. Lovely to have you. Hello. Thanks for having me. You um, obviously wrote this incredible book and it was the first time that I could read a book about money because I feel like the numbers, the lingo, all of it just jumbles and you just can't see the wood for the trees. But your book, talking about it in the sense of well-being and mental health, and it's almost like being able to care for money is like a form of self-care as well, isn't it? How do you think the ADHD sort of played into your approach to it? I think I... I mean, I was undiagnosed when I wrote the book and actually it hadn't never even occurred to me that I had ADHD until I read an article that you wrote, in fact, uh, a few months after the book was finished. And I think had I had all of that context, I, it might have been a slightly different book. But when I read it back now, a lot of the ways that I talk about approaching money in the book stem from my experience as a neurodiverse person. So I think accidentally almost I wrote a book that I have been told several times by fellow people with ADHD that it's a more helpful approach to them because I did try to sort of expose some of the ways that we're manipulated. And I think one of the things for me about having ADHD is I know now that I am so much more vulnerable to some of those manipulations in terms of marketing, in terms of, you know, the way that so many things work in the financial world to make you part with more money, to make you forget that you're paying for something that you're not using, to make sure that you sort of like maybe roll onto a more expensive contract, all of that stuff. We're all so much more vulnerable to that because or or so many of us are because of certain ADHD traits and yeah I think that hopefully just my experience as someone with ADHD made that book helpful for neurodivergent people. I think it's exposing the need for vigilance isn't it like you say the rolling contracts and all the things that you know, if we don't have an alarm set for it, those things, when it's money and you suddenly realise that you've paid out X amount and you're in debt because of not having that vigilance, it's it's so incredibly unfair and damaging and shame causing, isn't it? It really is. And I was quite impressed because recently, a couple of weeks ago, and actually it took me a couple of weeks to read it because I felt so confronted. Monzo did a study, probably the first proper study in partnership with YouGov into the cost of having ADHD. They averaged it £1,600 a year, which, you know, depending on your income, that's a huge chunk. If we think about it in the context of like the increase in energy bills, for example, that increase I think is climbing. But at one point when people were panicking, that was around £1,500, £2,000 and people with ADHD are dealing with that year on year on year. So, and you know, there were, there were lots of other things that came out of that study. But one of the things, one of the calls to action, and this is where I think that challenger banks and fintechs can really do something great here is that, you know, that particular bank were calling on other other companies working in the financial sector to launch products and to change their interfaces and the way that they interact with their customer to make it more inclusive to neurodivergent people, which I think is just something that 
is so desperately, desperately needed. If we drill down into that 1600 figure, what are some of the things that are sort of the ADHD tax that we talk about? So things like forgetting to cancel subscriptions, forgetting to pay, like you mentioned, and then getting charged late fees. So I'm really on top of most of this stuff now, but we've just moved house and I realized that I got had got a parking ticket because I forgot that I'd parked my car in one car park rather than the other that I hadn't paid. And so now it's, you know, d- sort of double what, I could have paid if I'd done it straight away. So, you know, even talking and working in this space and employing all of these different techniques and advice, not necessarily advising, but offering like tips on that stuff, even I am not immune to it at all. But yeah, so things like forgetting to, to pay and getting fines, you know, it, even within each of those things, there are so many different ways in which it can affect you. Like, we're so susceptible, I think, or many of us are so susceptible to uh, sort of aggressive or manipulative marketing. Um, also, just really fundamentally, I think some of the stuff that really protects us from like capitalism and that hedonic treadmill of all, always needing bigger, better, newer, a lot of that comes down to like valuing and appreciating what you have. And the link between being able to appreciate something and being able to pay attention to it is so close. And that's not necessarily something that I have a solution to, you know, a fix or solution to. But I think changing the way that we pay attention or like honouring the way that we can pay attention can really help with that. I think so. There's, there seems to be like two threads, doesn't there? There's the kind of executive function issue. Like I genuinely, when I get letters from my bank, I quite often, I can't, I almost can't read them. It's like, I can't decipher. And it's not necessarily that they talk in any kind of cryptic way. I just, I cannot process what they're telling me unless it's like your bills are now going paperless. And then I freak out and need to ring someone to be like, you can't do that because I won't pay it. Please don't do that. Which has happened so many times. Um, But I think also then there's this, the impulsive spending and also this vulnerability and you know you're already coming to the table with a lot of baggage which sometimes feels like can be self-soothed with well I'll just I'll sort it out by having a better car or I'll sort it out by having if I do this I will be more adept I mean buying coloured pens (laughs) you know I think like and also the emotional sort of vulnerabilities that again you know I self-soothe with my phone and if I, if, if within that moment I get an email that says oh my god anthropology (laughs) 70% off I would, you know, and it's stuff that I would never normally put money towards at full price, but I would, I will go hell for leather on a sale rail. There's all these things, aren't there, that just are compacting to just really fuck with your budget if there is one in the first place. Yeah. And, and I think I have always known about myself that I'm someone who gets bored very quickly and easily and my interests switch very, very quickly. And it's something that I've always felt really ashamed of because I think the narrative still is that you find one thing and that's your thing and you do that thing. And the ability to stick with something I think is really held up and valued really highly. Um, And so I've stuck with things for years that were making me like unhappy or is really very bored and lost interest and didn't do as well at them. But I think, yeah, the, that again that like really feeds into this 
you know, hedonic treadmill or hedonic adaption, which is this sort of psychological concept whereby we never make it because our brains just use like move the goalposts and I think everyone is stuck on that in some way or another because of how we're conditioned and you know everything's feeding into the sort of you know the capitalism monster all of us like are playing a part in it but we tend to be a bit more susceptible because as someone with ADHD shiny and new is so much more appealing I think and, uh, you know, it does mean that I've always had this thing of like kind of co- a constant need to reinvent myself. And I think some of that is, you know, ADHD and some of that is that massive dent in your self-esteem that you get when you see everyone else functioning on a different wave to you and you feel like you're not good enough so maybe this next version of me will be good enough but to create to reinvent yourself you need a whole new wardrobe maybe you need like some new scatter cushions maybe you need to uh, a new instagram account maybe you need all of these things so it is just at a very very deep level it makes money difficult. And I think what a big thing for me just over the last six months has been accepting that like I might always find it harder than other people and and it might always take up more of my energy. Mm. When you first set up My Frugal Year to kind of track your progress, what situation were you in financially and what was the kind of, you know, starting philosophy on all of that? Yeah, so my starting philosophy was not really anything at all. In actual fact, what happened was I had been struggling to manage my money. I would go through phases of being quite obsessed with it and of sort of obsessively budgeting. I'd been on Money Saving Expert, like I knew my way around that, like nothing else. And But I was struggling with the fundamental thing of sort of living within your means. I also had a surprise baby at 25. Like I was 25. My then boyfriend, now husband, was... 24 we were both in like grad jobs on terrible pay but somehow we sort of made it work and then I did NCT and everyone else even the ones who were just a few years younger than me they had all their ducks in a row and my ducks were sort of scattered along the M5 somewhere and so we just sort of struggled to throw or we we made sure that we could throw together something so sort of remotely resembling family life. And it just went from there. And I never wanted my son and then my sons when I had my second child not to have all the stuff that they needed, all the stuff that we're told they need because I wasn't ready or because of some like lack in me and we got married which is always expensive and then I had been kind of juggling smaller and smaller amounts of money from one account to another trying to plug these growing holes in my budget from sort of you know several different credit cards I think it was seven at one point and overdraft my student overdraft still and store cards as well. And it was just so complicated and overwhelming. And I had a phone call. I was in an unarranged overdraft, which is like the bad one where you've gone over your limit. 
And at that point, you were being charged a daily fee. I knew the phone call from my bank was coming. I couldn't bring myself to phone them, but I did answer the phone. And the kind of advisor from the bank, she she talked about the problem. She said, you know, when will you be able to come back with it in your limit? This was like mid-March, I think it was the 14th. I was like, oh, it's, it's going to be the end of the month. And she asked why, which no one really asked me before. And I just heard myself say, there's just no money left. And then I think I, she was nice to me and she refunded some charges that brought me back within my limit. And she showed me some compassion and she spoke to me like a human being. And I came off that phone call, sort of knowing, just really knowing that something had to change and that if, if something didn't change quite soon, I was going to have to go through like down the route of formal debt management, which is a brilliant process to have available, but it does come at a a big cost, you know, but I, I sort of felt because I'd been shown some like kindness and humanity that I could do something. I sat down, I think it was over the course of a few days because and I said this in my first book, like some people are real rip the band-aid off types. If I've sort of got my head in the sand and I pull it up too quickly, I just know that I frighten myself and my head goes straight back in. So I did it over a, a few days. I sort of found out exact amounts. So I didn't have, I didn't know how much exactly I owed. I just knew that it was bad. I found out exact amounts. I found out interest rates and I started pulling together sort of some semblance of plan and arming myself with that information but it felt like too much for me to hold it was an overwhelming amount of information the feelings were overwhelming and I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about it because there's this huge shame around money and I sort of started the account with the intention that like maybe a few a handful of people would follow me and shout at me like hold me to account and what I didn't really expect to happen was I wrote an article for Clemmy Telford on Mother of All Lists and I didn't know if it was going to go out when it was going to go out and then one day I just picked up my phone and it you know it was like trilling with new followers but also just my inbox is flooded with people who had had been in similar situations were in similar situations I just couldn't believe that I wasn't alone. I really thought that I was like uniquely stupid, uniquely inept. I knew that I was clever. And it was just, that was the first step. And I think the more people related and shared their own stories, like the kinder to myself I was able to be. And and so my whole philosophy changed And I talk quite a lot about changes in language. I think a lot of the language that we use around debt is really tired and unhelpful. So, for example, like talking about being in debt, it just conjures up this huge, like it conjures up such a clear image to me of being stuck at the bottom of a really deep hole. Whereas, you know, with sort of acceptable debt, like you don't really say that you're in a mortgage you know so I always talk about having debt rather than being in debt something about that makes it more bearable but doesn't rid you of the accountability or responsibility and my philosophy now is quite different and I feel quite strongly that a lot of the things that made me feel ashamed in the first place the problems with them not necessarily 
the problem wasn't necessarily with me. So yeah, it's, well, it's been a ride. This has all happened in three years. So it's amazing how quickly <laughs> life can change. It is a lot. I think like talking to you as well, it just sounds like a shift of power. So you know, the people that are selling you things, the people that have the banks, the people that provide the mortgages, all of that, they all are in the positions of power. And I think that sometimes the language they use disempowers you as an individual, doesn't it, as well, and makes you feel like lacking. And I think with ADHD, before I was diagnosed, I was generally thought of as having very little common sense. I mean, common sense doesn't really mean anything. I'm not really sure what that is. And, and yeah, it's a hugely respected quality in a person, isn't it? And and I think obviously common sense is very much tied into how you how you care for your money. And there is that lack of compassion and humanity within finance, right? Like, and all those people who hold that power. What you have done is wrestled back the power and actually completely deflated their sort of puffed up mentality by being like, I see you, I see what you're doing. I see, and it will, some of it will still work on me. However, I'm taking back the power and control and, you know, acknowledging where maybe I might need assistance and help and support and mechanisms. The second series of Is It My ADHD is made possible by our sponsor, To Better Days. Chronic pain and migraines are a well-documented comorbidity of ADHD. It's something we often see within our community. It is also an issue that, like ADHD, can be wildly difficult to pin down and find support for. 70% of those who experience chronic pain are women, and on average it takes more than seven years to obtain a diagnosis. Two Better Days is keen to support and empower the chronic pain community, not just with their drug-free pain relief patches for migraines and chronic pain, but by giving those affected a voice and really listening to understand the daily challenges of self-advocacy and effective pain management. Everyone's pain is different and complex, and to better days, don't overpromise. But their hope is that a patch you can pop in your pocket in case of a flare can ease your day. They have also given listeners of this podcast 10% off all products if you use the code GRACE10. Thank you so much to better days. How do you feel in yourself now when you think about money, particularly with your ADHD diagnosis? I think my feelings about money are like still very complex and they probably always will be. Uh, and there are so many parallels and I've discussed this with lots of people. There are so many parallels between money and the finance industry and food and the diet industry. So I have had a very disordered relationship with food that like really mirrors my relationship with money. And I'm at a place with that where everything is okay 80% of the time. And that's enough. Like I think if you're aiming for perfection with money as like as anybody, uh, but specifically as someone who's neurodivergent or, and, and more specifically as someone with ADHD, then that is potentially going to be setting you up to fail. And then all that you do is you undermine your confidence. You feel like you're back further away from where you started. And I see people who are stuck in these like cycles of really harmful behavior around money all the time. And it's quite commonly acknowledged that that also happens with food and dieting. I mean, like the concept, the whole concept of yo-yo dieting is based around 
that. And I think we have to remember as well that there's like, like, like you said before, there are so many companies that profit from us having this debt because they're earning tons of interest. So it, it is within, don't, don't forget that, I think. And I try not to forget it. And so I try now the one of the reasons why my relationship with money is so much better is because a I've learned to try and let go a bit of that perfectionism and acknowledge that there are mistakes that I will make that are not avoidable for me and also looking at where the locus of control in any given situation is because there are some things that are within my locus of control and maybe I'll try and make 80% of the positive decisions within that. But there are also things that are completely outside of my locus of control. I have no control over the price of petrol. And I think that this is one of the things that everyone is finding so difficult about the the cost of living crisis. It's one of the things that everyone found unbearable about COVID is that it was demonstrated to us how quickly our lives can change in a way that we have zero control over. And everyone's reaction to that is different. But my reaction to it when it comes to money is just to try and acknowledge that and sit with it and not take the blame for things that aren't my fault, not take the blame for things that are not within my locus of control. Because I think another thing that we do specifically people with ADHD is we exhaust ourselves either blaming ourselves or trying to find solutions for things that are not within our control you know the fact that my brain works a bit differently not within my control the fact that the world is on fire not within my control and I think those are two things that have really just helped to steady the ship and that's what it is. It's like, it's not some, it veers off course sometimes, but it's not sort of like rocking from side to side or in jeopardy at any given moment. But it's tough and it takes constant work, actually. Well, and also I think like if there are no variables, then you can work out a routine, can't you? Anyone can. And I think ADHD brains obviously really respond to that. But there are so many variables with money. Like you say, the, the cost of living is going up. The way that things were marketed were different during COVID and I think are still very different and we're vulnerable to that. And then you also introduce like your variables like I now have a child. So that's like a whole new area of, of spending and shopping, isn't it? It's those variables, I think, that will trip up even the most adept, you know, ADHD aware person. Yeah. And I think like agility on that is not to be sort of underestimated. So even when I was writing my first book, and this is like pre-pandemic, I think part of, potentially part of the reason why there's such a um, huge sort of surge in awareness around ADHD is because the pandemic forced people to be with themselves <laughs> a lot more and notice so much more about themselves um, and made it so, made those traits so acute. Absolutely. But yeah, when I was writing my first book pre pre-pandemic any of this and it was very very soon after I'd started the account one of the things that I wrote about was kind of allowing for a bit of ebb and flow and allowing for one step back two steps forward and I think again like for me trying to retain any sort of rigidity or you know 
have anything set in stone has never ever worked so I have to be agile and have to be flexible and I think one of the big costs of ADHD is the energy that that takes having to constantly change in order to thrive. Well, and also you want to pin down your identity, don't you? When your brain works in so many different ways, it's really comforting to have a firm idea of who you are to kind of give you those parameters of how to behave, right? And actually, like, not possible. Absolutely not possible to remain rigid. You're so right. Flexibility is everything. What are some of the most kind of long-lasting mechanisms that you've put in place to cope with ADHD tax and the way that you are with money? So the first thing is like having a budget and changing the way that I thought about budgeting so I would always see it the way that I would see kind of a diet like a crash diet so it's like a means to an end also a means of punishing myself because I always would go into like any sort of diet with a view to like I hate myself I want to feel bad as well as I want to be thin and this is the same with money it's like I hate myself I want to deprive myself I don't deserve any of this that was always how I went into it previously but now I have sort of tried to develop some like habits and routines around how I see budgeting and I don't and and I'm okay when things slip or when I forget or and, and things like that that's a really important part of it but I keep going you know with so many of us and again even neurotypical people who like identify as perfectionists or who struggle with not doing the best at something it's really hard to do that like the second that you slip up or make a mistake is usually this sort of like fuck it moment and then you throw it all out like you throw the baby out with the bathwater. like I want to do it all the time don't get me wrong I want to like put my whole budgeting spreadsheet in the bin and try again but what I try to do is still stick to the same format because it's something that I'm really familiar with now so like tapping into that Um, And I tend to try and do it on a Sunday night because my anxiety was always Sunday night going to sleep because Monday's when all of the direct debits go out from the weekend and Monday's when you have to face the consequences of the weekend spending. And so if I do it on a Sunday night, then I can go peacefully into the next week. Another thing is that I use uh, an app. I don't know of anything else that that does what it does, so I am going to name it, is called Snoop. And what it does is it it has read-only access to all of your bank statements and it will tell you, uh, I think your contract on X might be coming to an end. Do you want to have a look? Or, oh, it looks like you're paying slightly too much for Y. Here are some other deals and also here's like some cashback or whatever. So it's kind of a bit of like a combination of a budgeting app, money saving expert and like a price comparison site all rolled into one. But yeah, and also just having like a partner in it. So like my husband is quite good for this, but I also will just like pull, uh, I'll, I'll like make anyone complicit in my finances. So I'll like make commitments of like, what I'm going to do to either, like sometimes I just do it on my Instagram account because then I'm like, well, now I have to do it because one person out of 80,000 people is going to notice. Or like to family, I try and sort of seek accountability rather than fleeing from it, which is something I've always done before because I've always 
never have had the confidence that I'm able to see through a promise that I've made to myself, but I've always done it for other people. Yeah, so I, I think some of those things have really underpinned this more like peaceful and regular and steady relationship with money that I have now. Hmm. Can I ask a really basic question? Sure, yeah. Do you have like a little pot, whether it's like monthly or weekly, that you can kind of indulge that side of you that wants to go like, okay, so I've just been on the Georgia Asda sale. I mean, why? I've no idea. But I've bought three beach towels and I will use them and they were cheaper than they would have been and all of those things. So I feel like it's a win. But when they arrive, I will hate myself. So do you have like a sort of a little spare bit that you can do that with? Yeah. So actually last year for a project that I was working on with a bank, I spoke to a scientist and he he told me like, and this was working on something completely different and this was pre-diagnosis, but I had to do like a little personality quiz almost and it would work out my type, which is obviously re- really oversimplified, but like you have to sort of draw lines somewhere otherwise everything's just a mess and when he was looking at like my answers and he said oh I am really similar to this type of person and it was like an overanalyzer so uh I have always like obsessed over small details and sometimes I'll I'll be like chasing my own tail basically and he was like what you need potentially is like a slush fund which is a part of money it's where you put any like unexpected money so if you get a tax rebate if you get a check for your birthday you know it goes into there because it's extra it's spare so I've tried since last year to do that and I had to raid it because we've just bought a house and we were absolutely scrambling towards the end but I'm looking to sort of like build it back up of just, you can call it whatever makes sense to you. Like I think slush fund works for me because I'm just like, okay, it's just whatever money, but you could call it like your ADHD fund or impulse fund or whatever it is, but you have to, what takes the time I think is making a hard and fast rule that that is a no judgment part of money. And you almost have to, navigate like I did definitely still feel that like buyer's remorse and guilt and shame the first few times but the more you do it it's a bit like anything like it's the muscle the more you do that and the more you exercise that muscle and you make yourself spend from that fund even if you don't want to the easier it gets I think so I definitely advocate for that if if it's something that you can afford I've always been very frugal. For some reason, I very rarely look at anything that's full price. And to me, that's frugality because I will always shop for a bargain. And, you know, that's a buzz in in itself, isn't it? But it's not frugal because it's the sale season. It's not one sale rail. It's, do you know what I mean? So it feels like you're doing really sensible things that you've watched other people do and thrive under. But you're still on the back foot because actually you don't approach that with any kind of moderation. And that was always my approach. Like I, and I think this is part of the reason why I found so much mainstream, like financial advice or guidance completely useless. So I was like, I'm doing all of those things. I am, I do shop in the sale. I do compare my car insurance. I do, I do all of those things. I'm very engaged with it. I just didn't, 
I was like engaged, but I didn't feel any sort of, I didn't recognize like the emotional connection or the connection with the way that my brain works. So um, I, and I think, again, that's like a really, it's just a really tough thing to manage. And some of the, some of the techniques that they, that kind of people tout as like ways to be good with money or whatever just don't work for me. But some of the ones that do work are like a, a, a really extreme. And I did this right at the start, just taking all of my details the hell off my devices. So like no Apple Pay, no Amazon one click, none of that stuff. I deleted everything because actually if I have to go and find my debit card and type in the details, I'm not doing that. If things are quite extreme, which they were for me at that point, I think that can be helpful as a bit of a circuit breaker. But some of the other things that help are like enforced sleeping on it. And so that I would say that works about 60% of the time for me. Sometimes I just am fixated on a certain thing that I absolutely must have. And it doesn't matter how much time elapses. I still want it, but I always try to make myself wait, depending on the price between sort of 24 hours and a couple of weeks. And also it's a really hard thing to do, but having sort of the self-awareness to acknowledge when I'm shopping because something else is the matter. You know, we all have kind of a bank of things that we use to soothe ourselves. You know, for some people it's like, you know, blurting it all out to a friend. For some people it's going hard at the gym. Some of them are seen as good and some of them are seen as bad. But we had this kind of bank. And then when when the pandemic hit, like one of the only things left was online shopping. If you've got a condition uh, that means that dopamine is tricky for you, the buzz of like clicking checkout and then the ring at the door when nothing else is happening, it's like almost irresistible. And so I, I know that that has been a coping mechanism and a soothing technique for me for years, but really intensified during the pandemic, like the the allure of it. And so I have tried to refill my bank with other things. I think that's something that maybe doesn't get enough airtime is like, don't focus on the thing that you don't want to do put some other things in your bank so find something else even if it's like a fleeting interest like I really dip in and out of bullet journaling and I have sort of like a membership to Domestica which is online courses which is great because it means like every month I can just watch a video and get obsessed with something new yeah for like filling up your bank with some other stuff and don't like it doesn't have to be a long-term interest you don't have to like I think so many people and again especially people with ADHD when we have a new interest like that's a whole other category of stuff to spend on so you go out and you buy like all of the stuff that you need to do yoga at home and the special yoga pants and you like make a big upfront investment and then oh wait you're not like a lifetime yogi maybe it's something that you do in fits and starts every few years which it really is for me and so I've forgotten what I was saying yeah fill your bank up (laughs) 
Yeah, for the bank. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also, like you say, acknowledging that it doesn't have to be forever. Like, my husband literally, I was expressing an interest in something and he went, I just want you to know that you don't have to be a blacksmith. <laughs> because clearly he could see, he could see the trajectory of this conversation going to like, oh, I think I'm thinking of this again. Him being like, babe, please, no, darling, you don't have to like change everything because you're vaguely interested in this one thing. Just chill. I just feel like I've got so much from you and it's brought your book to life for me as well, having your lovely face there talking. But I think... To have that self-compassion is key for us to soak some of that up from you and have that going forward. And don't don't get me wrong, like I still do have moments where I'm like, oh, Claire, for goodness sake. But I think I am much better at it now. And I think it's not something that anyone I don't think would have said about me a few years ago. But one of the comments I have had about like my audiobooks is that people are like, oh, you just make me feel so calm. And I think I just have lost a bit of that like manic self-hating energy that I had for like years of the whole of my adult life. If I could give any ADHD or any like neurotypical person or any person with a different neurodivergence, anything, it's just like, please try and exercise a bit more self-compassion it, it it literally never does any harm it only does you good it only makes you feel better i feel much better thank you so much for coming on claire thank you for having me it's been amazing we now turn to an expert now i feel very lucky to welcome dr joe steer to the podcast she is a chartered clinical psychologist working with children in Surrey and the author of Understanding ADHD in Girls and Women, which has become my Bible. Is it my ADHD when I never stick to a budget? So people with ADHD are much more likely to struggle with debt and financial management. And that can be part of the impulsivity of the condition. So that acting without thinking, perhaps you see something and buy it immediately without really weighing up whether you need it whether you've got the money for it. And that can then inevitably lead to financial pressures and, and difficulties with um, with money. So this this is a, is a real challenge. We know that when you need to manage your money, you need to be able to organise yourself, plan, um, manage your impulses and pay attention to the detail sometimes. That's really important. And again, those, those features are key features of ADHD. So struggling to stick to a budget can be part of that it's obviously really important and particularly in the current financial climate to get help and support and advice for this but again this is an area that potentially can be quite shameful and embarrassing to reach out and ask for help so trying to really focus in and get some help or look up some kind of tips on the internet on how to manage money and um, set, set a budget but doing it in a in a way that works for you and your ADHD is is really important because it can be a really big serious issue. Thank you so much for joining me and this community of amazing people. We'd love it if you could follow Is It My ADHD wherever you get your podcast from. And now I'd love to hear from you. What other perspectives would you like to see explored in future episodes? Find me on Instagram at isitmyadhd to continue the conversation. <laughs>